0: Hi, everyone. Stu here. Just jumping into the podcast. Um, obviously, when we jump into the podcast, we know something big has happened or, or some news has broken since we last recorded the show. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm recording this on Saturday morning, New Zealand time. I think for anyone who's listening to this podcast, the cricket podcast, knows uh, about the passing of Shane Warne uh, that, that broke this morning. And um, yeah, sort of just felt weird to release a, an episode without mentioning that I mean I, I woke up this morning sitting there um, just sort of yeah getting getting into my day and my wife said Shane Warne's died and I said oh no 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 that's Rod Marsh um, you know he's a, an Australian cricket legend and uh, and heaps of players have been you know he's made such an impact on the game heaps of players have been saying really nice things about him and, and explaining what they meant to him and she goes no 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 Shane Warne's died and I sort of just yeah, I couldn't really figure it out. I had to kind of grab my phone, look at the the news myself, and and um, yeah, there it was. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, just signing onto our group chat, you sort of, um, you know, I've seen Baldy's uh, Baldi's made a comment about being numb, and um, yeah, it's just just a weird one. And um, I, I, we'll definitely, obviously, talk about it more when we're all together. Um, it's just sort of one of those larger than life figures as a sports person, as a um, someone you always watch that. I don't know, it really sounds really weird, but you kind of just figure that they're, they're never going to be gone, you know, like um, someone like Lomu or um, Muhammad Ali, you know, someone someone that's just had such a, a big impact on the game that you you feel like they're going to be around forever. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, he's just, I've made a, a, a big thing obviously on the podcast of Saying that, uh, you know, I love to cheer against the Aussies, but I honestly just can't think of another bowler who I've marveled at more in my time as a cricket fan. He, he's just sort of one of those bowlers that, when you watch what he does, and I, you know, I've already been watching highlights this morning, and no doubt will watch a ton more um, throughout the rest of the day. But yeah, I, he's just someone that it was just magical watching him bowl, no matter who you were cheering for, and the way he figured out players. But yeah, I don't know. We'll talk. Like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it a lot more when we're all together. Um, I just hope he's up there somewhere now and um, his spirits out there, bowling those massive leggies and and skidding flippers at Martin Crowe and, and Don Bradman and all the other uh, great batters that uh, that are up there with him. But um, yeah, look, let's let, let's get back to the episode and. Um, you know, I hope you enjoy this one, and it sort of—I don't know—takes your mind off uh, of some of the other things that are that are going on in the world. It's a, certainly a, a weird one right now, but yeah, we'll be back in, um in a week or so next week to, to you know pay tribute to to I guess the the cricketing life that that Shane Warner's has had. I think Binksy sort of said it in our group chat that you know it was sometimes a, a polarizing figure you know on and off the field but you know I don't think there's been a a more important cricketer at least in our lifetimes than than Shane Warne so um yeah rest in peace
1: cricketing march madness here on the top order podcast we've got so much going on around the world of cricket new zealand south africa england in the west indies we've got the white ferns the women's world cup and heaps heaps more all coming up on the top order podcast as well of course as our new zealand domestic wrap-up as well one day finals happening it's all going on here stay tuned Well, boys, we've got to start with our bold predictions from the two test New Zealand South Africa series. Somehow we all managed to avoid picking the correct result, but I'm pretty sure we did advise listeners to go and weigh and put some money on a series draw because we picked every other result um, apart from that. <laughs> I think I picked all results, so I'd covered a lot of bases. <laughs> but we'll look, it's pretty raw, I suppose, with the game having finished today. But what are our initial reactions to? South Africa coming back strongly in the series. We've got two, you know, real shellackings if we look at the scorecards across this series so far.
0: Yeah, it's a weird one. I mean, we yeah, we're as you say we're recording this on a on a Tuesday night, the night of day five. I think it's actually this podcast will probably come out at the weekend because we we want to get the Australian Pakistan preview in before that because uh, that series starts first. But you know, I guess um, as you said, it's really weird. We sort of predicted that it was going to be a really tight, closely fought series. And then, you know, you look at the scorecard 1-1 one, one, and you might think that, but the two tests were just so, you know, so distant from that. They were both, uh, I guess at this late, latest test, New Zealand kind of got themselves back in it at various points, but pretty much from day one of both tests, there was one clear team on top and they never really relinquished that the whole way through. Probably the thing I want to start with since it's so raw is the way that New Zealand kind of batted and. And the way they dealt with their, the back end of their innings, and actually in both innings, and I suppose particularly in the second innings because the game situation was set up where we were really, I did see a lot of people, um, I was following on at work on Crick Info, saw a lot of people saying, oh, New Zealand, you know, this is going to be a famous win. Even Baldy sent a message in, the, in our Slack channel, you know, maybe New Zealand can win here. At no point did I ever think New Zealand was going to win. This was a game that we had to try and, bat out for the draw with the way that game was going. And on that, the way that the New Zealand wickets fell in that final innings there, Raj, how do we feel about that? Because I know a lot of our tail end batters or or lower order batters, it's probably a bit harsh to call some of them tail end batters, but the lower order for New Zealand, they play very aggressively. And and in the first game, that, that paid off huge dividends. They scored quickly, they upped the momentum, and it had a big impact on the game. In the second game, in the first innings, they fell very quickly. The last couple of wickets, when we really would have been very beneficial to at to get much closer to the South Africa score, and then today, a lot of the wickets they're not they're not dismissals that I think when you look back in the video room uh, analysis, they're going to look on very fondly. So, uh, are we can, do we just accept that that's kind of the way they play, or, or are we actually pretty upset about how that went down?
2: So, are you talking specifically about the lower order?
0: Yeah, the lower yeah. order in, in general. I think the top order. Let, let's talk about them uh, a bit later because there were a few there that I would like to discuss, but particularly the lower order. Yeah.
2: The, the first innings, I was, I was, I was really, really grumpy about how that that's first innings finished with Colin de home at one end, mm. hundred and twenty not out. Uh, being stranded there after the other guys were having a a bit of a hit. Southie, Wagner and Henry. It should have been the other way around. They should be getting singles Mm -hmm. and giving him a hit because he's got more of a chance. Anyway, I was really grumpy about that first innings. The second innings, I feel like... that. At the at the end of the day, they had too much to do. By the time that they were out there, um, sure they should they they try and I think they did try. I know the dismissals a were of them tried. Yeah, there, there yep. were were a few questionable dismissals there, but in my opinion, to, to bat out two and a half hours or you know three hours or whatever they had left at the end there, that that's something that they're not really equipped to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, sec- The first innings was was a complete shambles. I, I hated how that finished with Conor home on hundred and twenty not out. Second innings, I'm not so. Disappointed with the law order.
0: As uh, as someone charges uh, on th- past us on a, a motorbike or a, a very la- a very loud exhaust car, they look, I I picking up on that. I, I am annoyed. I it does annoy me and it, it frustrates me to no end because, uh, I I guess I was a batter who just had no talent with the bat and all I tried to do was survive. And and I'm I guess I'm just so confused because yeah, the boy, boy, race is just going going gangbusters here today. But the I just think that it just makes no sense to me because I think that they're more talented players. And I know is the one that kind of gets the most criticism for this. People go, why is he batting at nine? All he does is throw his wicket away all the time. It's, you know, it's something I maybe have been guilty of in the past. It's it just because it frustrates me. And I just don't understand. But then on the other side, I I... I don't believe that he's someone who doesn't care about winning for New Zealand. I, I really think that he cares an enormous amount about winning for New Zealand. So I, I just don't really understand the thought process and and what they were doing because you know Conway and Blundell did such a a good job for a while. Obviously Blundell didn't get out in the the best of ways, but they they fought hard and played well. Hit you know hit the right deliveries, and then it just sort of became a case of we we'll get South Africa's going to bowl short, and we're just going to hit,
2: and one of them is going to stick. I uh, I hundred percent agree with you, I, in in that sense. But for me, from a bigger picture um, perspective, got Henry Nichols the way he got out in the first innings, the way Will Young got out in the first innings, playing outside off stump, Blundell leaving one that was on off stump the whole yeah. time. Those are the bigger issues for me. I'm I'm not really that concerned with our tail batting three hours on the on day five.
0: No, fair enough. And look, I I. Completely agree, and yeah, I want to make a, a national apology to Will Young for saying that he was going <laughs> to score the most runs in the series. I certainly certainly put the mockers on him there, and um, yeah, pretty disappointed. But yeah, in particular, the way that he's got out in this series has been uh, a real shame. But I, I, I suppose you know we're fresh off this performance from New Zealand, so you know there's that sense of we could have done better, and it feels like a real missed opportunity after that first test to actually kind of get the. This first series victory ever against South Africa. But we should give them a, a huge amount of credit, I think. I mean, who in this room, and, and Binksy on the call there, who kind of, were you guys like me when Dean Elgar won the toss and batted and went, what? What is he doing here?
3: You, Mark Richardson visibly had a double take yeah. on the field at the toss. <laughs> he said he almost fell over when Dean Elgar decided he was going to win the toss and batted, particularly given the cha- the changes they made to their team. They dropped a mm. the batter, picked an extra all-rounder, put Kyle Verena up to number six. Like, all of these things suggest, well, we need to bowl this team out. So we're going to try and make the use of our pace attack to bowl first. And they didn't. Dean Algar put his hand up and said, no, I'll bet first and, and we'll do the business. And Sarel Urveya, I think I've pronounced that name correctly. <laughs> yeah, I think I've
0: butchered it in the uh, in the preview, so apologies to him. I've, a few uh, apologies to him for me his, today. and
3: his family and all Uveas all around South Africa and, yeah. and, and the Southern African district. Just dug in and, and did a really good job. And they did what New Zealand weren't able to do, dig in and do all of the hard work. And then Kagiso Rabada was able to capitalise and, and bring it home for South Africa and also Kovrena, to, to bring up his maiden test century. So, you know, they were prepared to do the hard yards in this test match and New Zealand just weren't unfortunately for them. And that's the, that's the difference in the result.
2: I was definitely, um, shocked when I saw that come up, that <laughs> notification that, um, South Africa won the toss and we're batting. Um, but isn't it refreshing though to see a, you know, a toss not determine the outcome of the match. Dean Elgar wanted to take the front foot like that and it came off and it put them in a really, really good position. Uh, what I liked about this test was that I know it was a resounding win for the South Africans in the end, but I feel like for four days of that, it was really in the balance. Like it could have gone either way, had some quick wickets fallen, had someone scored really quickly like Con de Gronholm to, to wrestle that game back.
3: Had teams held their catches.
2: Exactly. It, it was it was really in the balance. And for me, that was that was the pitch. I think it was a really well-balanced pitch. There was something in it for everybody. Uh, Kikizo Rabada, I think he described it the best. When he said that it's a pitch that you never really get in on as mm. a batsman, he, he looked um,
0: like he was going all right, and it an was, ex-
2: <laughs> was going right. But uh, just to stay on Robata, I think that he was a standout performer for me in this Test match. Mm. Uh, it's the first time in a, in a long time I've seen him bowl with the red ball uh, for for a long time, like actually watching him for a couple of sessions, and you can understand why he has the strike rates and the average mm. that he has at the moment. Um, he was a, he was an incredible performer to watch. I want to just pick up
0: quickly um, before you jump in here, Binksy, on Algar and, and just really give him a, m- a massive shout-out. I know you guys just did. But, yeah, I mean, he mentioned it in his post-match comments. I think he—I don't know if he was talking to Richardson or whoever he was talking about. He he made mention of that, that you guys were grinning at me when I said that I was going to bat. But he said that that's, you know, they thought that that was the blueprint to winning this test. And, and he kind of has said all along he he has been... And I think he's shown himself to be a leader who says, we're up for this. And and I really think that that's, he's proved himself to be a leader that is taking South Africa forward. And, yeah, I'm, I'm massively impressed with the way that they've carried themselves in these past two series now, if you think about the India series and, and into New Zealand.
1: Well, Lippi, that was precisely the point I was going to make around <laughs> Algar. We've talked a lot about how gutsy he is as a leader and the fact that he was the right man, I think, to take the job um on as skipper really was the only lock in that batting lineup when he probably took that role on and i think he probably just felt Do you know what it, it's you know similar order better batting is is the order of the day and to kind of look down at the pitch and say look we, you know we're going to make first use of this the thing i found really weird is if you look at you know the fact that uh, conway got 90 in the uh, final innings of the game so look let's call that near, near enough a 100 you got one guy that made a, a score in each innings, and sixty was the top score outside of that in the whole test match. So probably just really echoes um, Rabada's point around that you you know you were never really in, and there was you know potentially one um, with your uh, name on, but look, have to say it, you know it was those middle order guys in uh, Colin de Grandhomme and and the keeper for South Africa, Carl Varane, who um, really showed you know the desired application. Um, but in fairness, probably when the ball was that you know in that optimum stage of being a little bit older um, and, and then having the ability to kind of get in uh, with that softer kookaburra.
0: And jump jumping on that Colin de Gronholm, we, we touched on him a little bit. I, I want to throw my hand up here again um, with another apology. I, I thought his career was done after that Bangladesh uh, white, white ball series. I thought there's just no way that we'll ever see him in a New Zealand jumper or a cap whatever again because he just looked completely out of sorts i know he was coming back from injury we touched on it a little bit then but it just felt like with daryl mitchell emerging and all these other and russian ravindra coming onto the scene although he hasn't you know set the world on fire yeah. it, it just yeah 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 I, and i hope yeah i hope it's a, a big yet for him because i yeah I big hopes for for russian but yeah i just i don't know i mean what, what do we make of this because he's now I mean, you would think, I mean, New Zealand have obviously uh, have a bit of a record here of uh, of players performing well and then being left out of the next game. But with Kane Williamson back, presumably for their next test series, how does that change what New Zealand might do next time?
2: So I don't think that uh, Kane coming back affects Colin de Gronholm per se. I think that he's in that fight out, with, in that dog fight with... Uh, Daryl with Daryl Mitchell and, and Rutchen Ravinder for that for that sort of uh, all-rounder spot uh, when, when you talk about Kane, uh, we're talking about who you're going to drop from, from from the batting order and I think the candidates there are sort of Will Young Henry Nichols, and, and Daryl Mitchell and whether Daryl Mitchell comes back in as in that all-rounder spot. So I don't, I don't think that's a problem when you're talking about tours that we've got to to England coming up mm. and possibly Pakistan uh, later this year, in England, we can afford to go without a spinner in those conditions. They're very similar to ours. Maybe Colin de Grandhomme is the right fit. He's done the job on many occasions with the bat. He does enough with the ball to just nip a couple out. That's what we need when we've got our bowling attack and our batting lineup at full strength. In Pakistan, that's where we need to put our thinking hats on and bring in Ajay Patel and perhaps Aruchan Ravindra. We're a team now where we have the ability to, you know, choose our horses for different courses so mm. I think yeah that's that's where we need to put our thinking caps on when we go to the subcontinent
0: and, and I guess another question I have uh, oh, you know you sort of touched on a little bit there how do you feel like I mean New, New Zealand fans now it feels like we've had the success and you know maybe I'm looking on the wrong in the wrong places of, of the internet but it feels like they're very critical now and very quickly like I saw so many things uh, you know, people calling for, you know, Will Young to be dropped. I saw people slamming Tom Latham's captaincy. I saw people uh, saying Henry Nichols should be dropped, even though he scored 100 in the last test. You know, people were saying Jameson should be dropped. It, people were criticizing the selection, saying Ajaz should have been in, even though they didn't realize that Ajaz was actually injured and wasn't available for selection. But, you know, <laughs> like, it just did Did they get the selection wrong? I, it feels like they did can't have really, because we just smashed South Africa in the test before, or is that just, should they should they have had more foresight to see that this pitch was going to be a bit different?
3: I don't think New Zealand necessarily got their selection wrong, but South Africa really got their selection right, mm. in that they stuck with Keshav Maharaj for the second test, they won the toss, they batted first, and allowed him to bowl in the last innings. Now, traditionally at Hagley, no one gets wickets if there's a spinner in the fourth innings not many get wickets at all but Keshav maharaj got 3 wickets in the second innings and did really well so oh, great i thought uh, he was he was excellent and and like the the two card trick to get i can't remember who it Darryl was in the first, first innings inning was oh, I just incredible it, it, i watched that several times over on the highlights just back and forth and it was really impressive and
0: even bowling him in the second innings just yeah turning it past the edge to hit the top of off beautiful
3: so so i think if you give like whatever score you give new zealand you have to give south africa 9 out of 10 for their selection because it was unconventional to change the balance of the side in the way that they did but it paid off spectacularly for them I think the decision moving forward for new zealand is do they opt for a little bit better balance with ravendra which is really hard now because de grondholm has performed so well if it was a case of de grondholm not performing or mitchell not performing then it makes it easier to select ravendra so it's a real selection quandary for new zealand how they balance their team going forward and selection is going to be a hot talking point for keyboard warriors for sure
2: i don't think they made a mistake at all you can't change a winning combination like that uh, this is as close to the same conditions that you'll ever get playing at the exact same <laughs> venue straight after uh, you've you've routed a team in you know two and a half days. But this is where the downside of not having variation to our bowling attack has come back to bite us. Mm. It doesn't usually, but it, it has come back to bite us. And this we didn't even have a left hand a left arm option this yeah, time around yeah. with twent Bolt. So having that sort of one dimensional uh, bowling attack has come back to get us. I did want to pick up your point on. Keshav Maharaj, uh, I think that he he was he had a lot of impact in this game. That two card trick you talked about to get Daryl Mitchell out in that New Zealand's first innings was was massive because New Zealand looked like they were going to really come in and take some ascendancy in the to, into the halfway point of that game. Yeah, those two and were it, going well, and it really changed the match. So yes, I agree. And sorry Neil Wagner that I forgot about you.
1: Yeah agree. There's no real selection quandaries for me, and I think it probably just shows. Um, look, don't go on social media after a loss if you want a reasoned and um, sort of logic-based uh, set of opinions. Because uh, you know Martin Crow would probably be back in the side alongside uh, some others if you kind of listen to too many of those um, yeah talk sport type um, websites. And I think probably the key in my view is that Maharaj is a genuine spinner. Whereas, Mm. look, you guys have got the affliction that England have got at the moment as well. There isn't that absolute lock of a spinner that's going to do you that first innings job of going for two and a half and over and bowling 15 overs on day one. Um, As much as uh, Ravindra's got promise, I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's that player um, just yet. Um, Maybe if Ajaz had been fit, you've got a slightly different scenario with that balance. But look, even so, I think that that's the affliction that you're, you're facing when you can nine times out of ten rely on your depth of seam bowling stock in home conditions. If you're uh, New Zealand or indeed um, England with the with the Jeep ball back in England as well. And
0: and one and just quickly one more thing, I guess before we leave the New Zealand South Africa stuff, I, I kind of want to touch on. Um, where that kind of leaves both sides. In terms of, uh, I know this preview for our Australia-Pakistan would have come out before this, and we talked a lot about how those two sides are potentially very well placed now for the World Test Championship final. I guess two points. Is New Zealand out of the World Test Championship reckoning now? I mean, that we're, we're sitting quite low down. We dropped two home tests that we otherwise at the start of the summer would have thought, you know, that was our way into the World Test Championship final again. And on South Africa, look, how how good do we think they are? Because now they've they've beaten India at home. They've come away and beat and drawn with New Zealand, uh, you know, in, in New Zealand, which I know Bangladesh just did the exact same thing and, and we don't think of Bangladesh as a powerhouse. But look, I, I think they're on the rise and I'm keen to get, I guess, a couple of opinions about where both sides sit now after this not necessarily just this uh, series, but after the summer that they've they've both had.
2: I'll defer the World Test Championship question to one of the other panel members here. But from a South Africa perspective, they also had a, a convincing Test Series win in the West Indies as well. Uh, but even though they've had those two results, I don't quite believe them yet. I don't believe that they are that, that team uh, yet. I think they're the best of the rest, maybe that's a bit rude to say that, but I think that's that's the key. I, I feel like both the teams that they beat, India and New Zealand, had had key members missing uh, in in their squads, uh, and I th- I believe that Rabada is an absolute weapon that they have. Mm-hmm. If he wasn't playing, I think that New Zealand would have beaten South Africa in this test series. I think that he pulled South Africa over the line with his great bowling in in that second test. Um, over to you, Walde. I think
3: actually South Africa have got a lot of positives to take out of this test series. You think about the weaknesses that they've had in their side, opening the batting, they've found Sarel Uvea, who seems like he's a lock in their batting order for a, a, a little bit to come. Keegan Peterson didn't tour, but he was excellent against India. So you lock him in at number three.
0: And no Nguyen and no Nokia. So I do think they were missing a few as well.
3: They were, they were missing, and they've been missing a couple of fast bowlers, but they've, they've picked up an absolute find in Marco Jansen, who looks like he at 21 is going to be a, a test cricketer for a long time to come. Uh, took nine or ten wickets in this series so second leading wicket taker behind Rabada. Kyle Verena scored runs looks every bit the test cricketer now as well you know scored a debut 100 so replacing De Filia's and then Quinton de Cox seems like it's you know job done for South Africa so a lot of the boxes other than Temba Bavuma getting a 100 have been ticked here on this tour of New Zealand for South Africa so if you think about them as maybe a team you're right Raj maybe not quite all there yet. They've got all of the pieces starting to fill in that puzzle and you throw Ngidi back in there, you throw Norquia back in there in that bowling attack, maybe instead of Vian Mulder or Dwayne Onofia, they've got the bones of a really, really good cricket side. If they can get their engine room four five six going in Markram and Bavuma and whoever they pick at number six, then they're starting to look like a real cricket side.
0: And, and Binksy if you just want to pick up on uh, as a neutral your final thoughts on this series and then I know you've got to jump off the call so why don't you give us a bit of a, a rundown on your thoughts of, of England West Indies because that's that's sort of a, a series for me when I look at that series I, I sort of have no idea how that's going to pan out as an English fan what are you expecting and, uh, and hoping for I suppose from this series?
1: Yeah, so on the first point, I think South Africa, look, I think have got a little bit of uh, momentum going now. They play Bangladesh in a couple of Test matches at home. They then go over to England uh, for their next assignment away from home, obviously following um, New Zealand. who will be making that trip in the English summer. And then they play the West Indies at home in their next Test matches. So they've got a reasonable run now in that World Test Championship where I think they could feel as if with the makings of that side that you've discussed and described, they're in a pretty, you know, a pretty decent position. But look, I think New Zealand have also um, massively got the ability to sort of bounce back because you're going somewhere where, let's not forget a year ago or so, you're winning the World Test Championship in England Um you, you know, you're facing an England team that, look, I think will come on to, might be in a little bit um, of disarray. Um, and and look i guess then um you've got that sort of um yeah that sort of you know follow-up series where you you've got quite a lot of cricket in the second half um of the year to play as well although predominantly in the in the one day um or white ball stuff leading into that world cup as far as england go um i'm not really too excited by this series and um, i i'm still to be honest reeling a little bit at the fact that we've got Anderson and Broad left out. Um, Since we recorded our podcast where we talked about that, both Broad and Anderson have sort of come out in the English press. Stuart Broad via his newspaper column, uh, Jimmy Anderson via his podcast, uh, The Tailenders podcast, where, look, he's expressed his disappointment, really, in the decision. And also the communication as well from Andrew Strauss, both of them saying that they received no more than a five-minute phone call to explain um, their omissions from that squad to the West Indies and and explain is probably the wrong word because they, they didn't feel as if they really got uh, the level of information um, that they required. The the only thing that I'm particularly excited about in this is, this series is is seeing Ben Folks. Looks like he is now lined up and um, to get the gloves. And you would you would expect he's going to get the gloves for at least this series and the first part of the English summer. And to kind of really, you know, stamp whether or not a keeper that probably is a 35 average keeper, but a pure gloveman is going to be the answer to, you know, to, to England's sort of number seven conundrum. But if I'm being brutally honest, outside of that, it's really actually seeing the emergence of some of the West Indian cricketers that are in this um, shakeup that really interests me for, for this series, rather than, in fairness... A bit of a caretaker arrangement for uh, for England, with you know Chris Wokes, and Mark Wood leading that attack, and then you know a batting side that's going to be unrecognizable to the one that left the field in that Sydney Test match, with you know the likes of uh, David Milan um, missing, um, obviously Rory Burns, um, Haseeb Hamid, Josh Butler, all out of the squad from the last time England played uh, Red Bull Red Bull Cricket. But guys, what about you? We've got so much cricket going on. It seems like a series that probably you blokes don't care too much about either.
0: Well, I'm sure Raj has some thoughts about the West Indies. But I just on that caretaker thing. Do you think that, that has a, that's a way back for Broad and Anderson in terms of when that caretaker setup goes away and a new setup comes in? Do you think that that is the way that they can then you know properly call up Broad and Anderson and kind of bring them back into the fold, or do you think that actually you know, there's almost no way back. I know both of them have kind of said that they still want to play for England and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, it just feels like that relationship is actually quite damaged now. And uh, if it if it was the same group of players or great great group of uh, you know support staff that were were there, there would be some damage control needed.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think the answer to that, Lippy, is it depends on who emerges as the head coach and the director of cricket or whatever the equivalent role is in whatever structure they decide. Uh, What's telling for me is that Paul Collingwood has been a pretty constant in that England backroom setup. He's taken the role. There's been a murmur around the camp that if he does well in the West Indies, he's a contender for that head coach role. You would have to say that he must have had some input in not necessarily the selection but certainly his views as to whether Broaden and Anderson should be uh, Broaden and Anderson should be around that side um whether or not it was a vote on selection or it went as far as that I really don't know I, I, the factor is if it's an external coach like if a Justin Langer does come in or a Gary Kirsten does come in I'd fully expect them to be going for coffee with uh, Broad and Anderson, looking in the eyes and seeing if they've got the hunger to have one more crack at it. And, you know, if they have, um, who would want to to leave them out of a side at the moment where there isn't really anyone of the class that they have um, shown over the course of not only their careers, but James Anderson, let's not forget in the last two years, his stats have improved on his career stats in the last 24 months. So, um, yeah, look, the mind boggles. I, I'd really hope there's a way back for them. And to be honest, I wouldn't want to be a county batsman facing either of those in April on seeming pitches because they're going to have a point to prove and some grills to hit. Just on that England bowling setup, you've got Chris Wokes and Mark
3: Wood who are leading the attack now for England, and I guess Ollie Robinson as well. Ollie Robinson needs he needs miles. He needs yards. He needs reps, whatever you want to call it, to get test fit because I think if any, if the ashes proved anything that Ollie Robinson is short of test match fitness, first couple of tests, the first hour of a day, he is awesome. He is, he is at you. He is, he is troubling. He is capable of dismissing the world's best batters.
0: It's like a metronome, isn't he?
3: But at the end of the day, the metronome starts to wobble or well not to wobble a little bit. Metronomes do wobble, but, <laughs> it, but the pace isn't there. The, 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 the. The venom in his in his bowling isn't there anymore. And that's the thing that concerns me with this tour to the West Indies for England is that they've got a guy in Chris Wokes who averages high, what, high 40s uh, overseas opening the bowling. He's now being asked to lead this attack. It's not in England in conditions that favour him. It is overseas in conditions that don't. Mark Wood, he was excellent in Australia, but he was excellent as the second or third option. He wasn't the strike bowler. He was the guy who came in as the third seamer and roughed a few guys up and bowled in that kind of Neil Wagner mode. He doesn't have Southey, he doesn't have Bolt in this series to go and do the work up front for him. So these are big questions being asked of this England attack. And if they don't perform, the door is absolutely open for Broad and Anderson to return if all of the egos at in you know in the the engine room of, of England cricket, in the, you know, the the oak paneled boardrooms can see fit to kind of check their egos a bit and bring those guys back because I I actually have uh, some concerns for this England attack coming into the West Indies series.
2: Yeah, you guys have unpacked that uh really well. I guess I'll I'll just add one thing if I if I put my consultant hat on. The main <laughs> the main question that I would be asking or my mission statement would be how do I win this next test match? Mm. And I don't think that's the question that's actually being asked. They're thinking about the bigger picture. What do our succession plans look like? How are we going to win the Ashes in two years' time? Just win the next test match. I think that's what they need to be focusing on. And I don't understand a, a scenario where that doesn't include Anderson and Broad. So yeah, we'll leave it at that. Let's move on to the West Indies, should we? So they've had their first test squad picked by new selector, Desmond Haynes. You may have heard that name before. Um, He's made a bit of a splash. Uh, He's left out a few players, Roston Chase, Raheem Cornwall, Shy Hope and Shannon Gabriel due to injury that one. Uh, He's also brought in John Campbell, uh, not the TV3 presenter. I think he's on Channel One now. Uh, But here and, uh, and Anderson Phillips who is a new name to us all. Uh, He's a medium pacer as well. I'm not sure if he'll get a run in the the squad that's actually been picked. There's a lot of good fast bowlers picked there. Haynes has said that he's picking his squad based on first-class performances, uh, which I I find interesting. I think that's a good policy to have. However, someone like John Campbell, he scored 100 in his last outing in first-class cricket, but in his first, he's an opening batsman who averages under 30 in first class cricket, and they're bringing him in to, to test matches. And
0: he's someone who's looked pretty at sea, I think, at test level whenever I've seen him. I, I, yeah, I was very surprised to see his name back in. I, I did the same thing. I went back and looked at his recent scores because I thought I must be just banging the door down at, at first class level. And, he, and they, they were relatively good at um, his last few scores, but yeah, didn't really
3: seem like it deserved a recall.
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I, he has. Got a 40 and 100 i think uh but yeah i don't know if that's banging down the door
3: and this is the this is the only challenge with west indian cricket is they've got so many good middle order bats they've got shamar brooks they've got Nkumra Bonner. they've got hope and you know even if you look at the one like the one day specialist you've got hetmeyer and you've got nicholas puran and and all these guys options galore but they've got no one really that can open the batting the only guy that's looked really good for me opening the batting is joshua de silva when he was batting when uh, who was the wicketkeeper? Um, Shane Dowrich. Yeah, Shane Dowrich was was in that West Indian side in England. He looked quite good opening the batting, but of course now he's having he's having to bat sort of seven or eight and wearing the gloves. So there there is the conundrum for this West Indian cricket side: is how do they fit all of these guys and Kyle Mayers and Roston Chase into their middle order and Jason Holder and still have a a decent opening pair, someone to go along um, and open the batting for them. That's going to be the real challenge for me.
2: From a, a pitcher's perspective, if we look back to the South Africa series where West Indies played, they prepared some very uh, fast and conducive to pace bowling uh, pitches. It seems the same thing will happen based on the fact that they've only picked one frontline spinner for their team uh, in uh, Vera Sami Permol. And they've left out the, the, the left armor and they've left out the right arm, uh, the off spinner, Raheem Cornwall, yeah, from Chase, that squad. And Roston Chase. And, Rost and Chase as well. Uh, I'm. I tried to take a stab at putting a playing eleven together, but I was hoping that you guys won't ask me that question because I've got no idea what the playing eleven is going to look like. The last series in Sri Lanka, everybody was all over the place. Mayers was batting in seven and eight, and you had Blackwood opening the batting. Uh, so I'm not sure what that actual playing eleven is going to look like. But uh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll spare we'll spare you of that. It does it does
0: feel like a series where other side uh, is locked in. Yeah, and and I guess from a neutral perspective when i look at that series it feels like there's a lot riding on it for england because they've chosen to have a lot riding on it by you know making these big statements in their selection whereas the west indies still feels like a work in progress so kind of whatever happens for them is potentially sort of okay so yeah it's sort of, yeah one one to to keep an eye on for sure but uh I guess we can't finish a chat about a series without making our outlandish predictions. Binksy, are you going to predict an English win here?
1: I'm not going to predict an England series win, but I do think we've alluded to the fact that both teams have got some questions to answer in terms of their lineup. So I do think West Indies will take the series. I think they'll take the series 2 1. But I think England will nick a test because I do think there is a little bit of quality around that side. and And I think. They'll have a situation where two or three of those guys do stand up. I'm going to predict that Ollie Pope's going to have a decent series, and he's going to score a couple of hundreds in this series for England. Bold couple um, hundreds products. for Ollie Pope. That's what, bold. What one in a one in a losing cause and one in a winning cause. Um, and look, I, I, I think it is going to be a little bit of a topsy turvy series with you know neither team um, really completely um, settled. Baldy. West Indies
3: 2-1 for me. And my bold prediction... I'm going to come up with one on the spot. My bold prediction in this Test Series is that Joe Root scores 200 out of the three Tests. There you go. Uh,
2: I've actually gone... I'm going to go with England here. I think that England win this Series 2-0. I'll put a draw in there as well for some weather. Uh, I just think there is definitely a difference between the top half of Test Cricket and the the bottom half of Test Cricket. We saw that with... um, South Africa when they went to the West Indies and absolutely steamrolled them. So, yeah, I'm picking England to, to do well, even without their sort of front-line seamers. I think England will get that too. too I real. think the
3: bold prediction there is that England, are by inference, in the top half of Test cricket sides for you.
2: Oh, they're not on the big three? Well
3: they're, not, well, they're not in the best three or four cricket sides that I could name off the top of my head at the moment. But that's, that's a bold prediction. I like it.
0: And and I'll jump in to kind of say that I'm going to go one-one because I just have absolutely no idea what's going to happen in this series. It it really feels like that. I just I just don't know because I don't know what to make of this England side who would just been hammered, dropped their you know their two greatest bowlers of all time potentially, and uh, well I think Broad's probably a, a question mark there. But anyway, in terms of leading wickets, at least uh, they're both uh, you know right up there, obviously. But yeah, I just I just don't know, and I and I think that the West Indies have shown recently that they're at least kind of good enough to get a test off off teams, especially when they come to their shores. So yeah, I, I'd won all because this, I'm throwing my hands in the air.
3: This this is the least certain or least sure I've been about any series that I can remember in my living memory. I have no idea what's going to happen. I predicted West Indies to win two one, but. Who really knows? I don't even know what teams are going to roll out. On, like honestly, like you could look at you could look at most test lineups and go, okay, well, there's nine guys there that kind of write their names down to start with. Mm. For almost definitely for the West Indies, but almost also for England. Other than that batting lineup, because they don't have a lot of cover. It, it's just such a lottery in in terms of in terms of that side and who that who they might or might not pick for this series. So who knows what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, and and uh, completely agree. And probably look, it'll get to the first test, and there'll be nine or ten names that we probably would expect in in both lineups. It'll be one of those series where we think we, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, and then suddenly it all kind of goes similarly to, to what you expect. But yeah, obviously, hope from from uh, an entertainment perspective, we get a a real uh, a, a series that's closely fought and uh, and a lot of interesting thing ha- things happen. But Look, before we leave, I, I always got to kind of get in my little New Zealand domestic sort of update. And last last week, kind of talked about how uh, the the Ford Trophy and, and Halliburton Johnston Shield finals were coming up, and uh, we now have winners and and very impressive winners. Auckland winning the the Ford Trophy quite comfortably in the end. George Worker and Mark Chapman putting on a big score to to chase down CD's score earlier in the week. They'd played a big. Uh, a, a game at uh, Eden Park outer over where they both put well in excess of 300 on the board and uh, but this one was not quite the the run fest that we thought it might be
2: how fast was Lockie bowling he looked absolutely rapid in the final
0: yeah geez he's we as you, I think you alluded to in the the cricket miss episode I mean we just want a, a season of him where he's just completely fit I mean that's uh, we talked about the the selection stuff for the tests you know a lot of a lot of people clamoring for him to to play Test cricket I, I actually think that that's probably not that realistic at the moment in the way that his body's held up at the, in recent times, even in sort of, you know, Ford Trophy kind of stuff. But yeah, boy, when he's on form, it's, I mean, he's going to be a sight to behold in that IPL. I hope he's, you know, in, in the lineup every time because this last team that he was playing for, it was him and Cummins almost fighting out a spot. But I think now that the big money's come, he'll be in that lineup every time, which would be exciting.
3: Oh, he is absolutely going to be the X factor for you guys coming into that T20 World Cup in Australia. If he can... Stay fit and bowl on those fast, bouncy Australian pitches at 150 Ks now. I mean, we saw what he did to Bangladesh and the West Indies when he was fit in those T20 series. Mm-hmm. He ripped those sides apart, and that West Indies batting lineup was no slouches, and he made them look, you know, reasonably um, in, inept, really, with his extra pace. I mean, in that, I watched that Auckland Central game, uh, not the final, but the one before that, and I watched a bit of the final. He made everybody in that lineup look. Uncomfortable at best, and you know, these are good first class cricketers at New Zealand level looking mm. very uncomfortable and not trying to get him away, but just trying to keep him out. So he's huge, and he was awesome in that in, in both of those games,
0: yeah, spot on. And someone else that's been awesome in that, uh, in that Ford Trophy stuff has is, is been George Worker. It's his fourth, uh, he scored four Ford Trophy hundreds, he's he's just been in great touch, and I feel like, uh, he almost has to be picked, I think, in that black cap side for the um, the one days against the Netherlands. There'll be a few players missing, obviously, because of uh, the IPL. Probably will be starting around the same time. I, you know, I'm I'm predicting that more than actually had any word, but yeah, I would think they'll probably be allowed to go those those IPL players, and that means that we'll rule them out. And saying that it. The, the two openers for New Zealand one-day cricket, at least at the recent times, have been Guptill and, and Nichols and they should both still be around. But, yeah, I don't know. I just think that work has put in such a performance over this Ford Trophy season that, that he has to be back in the reckoning, at least in the squad. Mm. So, yeah... I
2: no, oh, he's looked really good. Four hundreds this year. Seven hundred and something runs, I think, is well head and shoulders above everybody else. He has played before, I believe, was yep, that, yep, yep. Yep. yep, yeah. No, yeah, he's played
0: for New Zealand before, so that would be a recall of sorts, but it's sort of that um, you know, it's sort of in the Hamish Rutherford kind of mold that we saw him come back into the this test squad that he's sort of someone that you kinda of think, okay, they've had their chance and now they're out of the side and they'll just finish off their first class career and then you know, sail off into the sunset. Oh, but he
3: deserves it though. He absolutely deserves a recall to that New Zealand side. If currency is runs, he has got Bitcoin and doggy coin <laughs> and Ethereum. And he's got everything. And he's got gold. He's got oil barrels. He's got the lot. And he deserves a recall.
0: Yeah. On on And on that note, look, we'll move to the, to the women's side, a massive shout out to, I, I just want to give a big shout out to the Sparks that, because they, they've won this tournament, uh, they, they went two seasons without a win. The previous two seasons they have not had a single win in this whole competition. You go back, they had 23 losses on the bounce before the start of the season and then they've turned it around and actually won this competition. It like that just doesn't happen very often where you've got a side sitting down the bottom for for such an extended period of time and to turn things around. And I mean one of the key performers in that final, Kate Ibrahim, is someone who has has been instrumental in doing that. Went from Canterbury last year, winning uh, you know, winning the Halliburton Johnson again, going into that uh, and going into that spark side and just lifting them up. So yeah, brilliant, brilliant sort of stuff from from her and um, Eden Carson as well, someone we talked about a bit in the super smash stuff when that was going on, picking up five wickets in that final. Again, a bit of a weird one in that quite a few players for on both sides were missing due to to White Ferns' duties. A couple of the uh, the um, Blaze side were taken out um, because of Lauren Down being injured. Georgia plimmer went into the the White Fern squad, so yeah, a few of them sort of out, which is a bit of a shame. Obviously, also a bit of a shame that the Ford Trophy was live on Spark Sport, and then we the Halliburton Johnson was. On one of the, the NZC domestic cameras, so you didn't get much, as much of a of coverage there. But I think, you know, in general, I think the, the women's cricket game is heading in the right direction in, in terms of coverage. And look, last thing from me, we, we're we on women's cricket. It's a, a Tuesday night that we're recording, so, you know, by the time this has come out, the Women's World Cup will have started. Hopefully, New Zealand will have picked up a, a win against the West Indies in that opening game on the fourth. But I, I've got to give a shout out to New Zealand, just absolutely demolishing Australia in this uh, lineup. What what's going on there, Boy? A few nerves? Well
3: no nerves. No nerves, but you have to give New Zealand credit for an absolutely dominant performance. Just give us a rundown of that scorecard. So Australia batted first in like a fifteen a side warm-up game made decent runs made over 300 in a women's 50 over game which is nothing to be sniffed at in fact scores have been going up and up and up in New Zealand of recent times but New Zealand uh, did reasonably in the chase to 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 win a close contest close contest you uh,
0: reasonably not not reasonably in terms of uh, i think you've underestimated how well New Zealand have performed there so they've chased down 325 for the loss of one wicket. And uh,
3: and it yeah. must be said inside 44 overs, so they had plenty of time to spare. They had more than 30 balls to spare in that chase.
0: Yeah. And, and look, you know, I, I completely agree that, it, you know, you look through that bowling lineup for Australia and there's four overs here, four overs there, you know, they've bowled about nine different players. I completely agree. It's was, it's, it appears, you know. You without- hit
3: the bowlers that bowl to you though, like.
0: Yeah, yeah. Without having eyes on the game, it appears to be a game where it certainly was used as a treated as a warm up game. But geez, to see you know Bates on Bates sixty odd, Amelia Kerr continuing her form ninety two not out off seventy five balls, and then Sophie Devine one hundred and sixty off, uh, not out off of one hundred whatever it was one hundred and seventeen deliveries. I mean, geez, uh, you know our chat with Christy Havel she's talking about you know can we see a, a Sophie Devine masterclass and just smashing hundreds. And, jeez, if we get something like that in the World Cup, it's going to be awesome to watch. If
3: New Zealand didn't believe in themselves before, they should now because that is the perfect warm-up for them. Okay, they conceded 300, but they also chased that down with relative ease. And those three girls that made big, big runs are going to need to continue to do so for New Zealand to be a factor in the tournament. And they look all in great form now. It couldn't, couldn't have gone better for New Zealand from that point of view. Well, that just about wraps up this 87th episode of This Week in Cricket on the Top Order podcast. Unlucky for some, but very lucky for us to be here recording in person again with Binksy dialed in remotely. Please take the opportunity to look up our back catalogue. There's heaps of great interviews in there, including Wasim Khan, the CEO of of pakistan cricket for a while there he did a great interview with us back in i think 2019 2020 where he talks about his journey in cricket so check that one out uh, also check out the top our hall of fame is up and there's plenty of write-ups on all your favorite cricketers new zealanders and otherwise otherwise take care of yourselves and each other out there and we'll see you again for the next episode of the top order podcast thank you for listening